Second Epistle of Paul the Apostle Timothy. Second Timothy, first chapter. consideration tonight and we pray the Lord will give help to those who will be called and the Lord will use them to bring comfort and strength and light to us. Perhaps we can read the chapter together first of all. I'll read from the beginning. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, be mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith there is in thee which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and persuaded in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given, thee, given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, and hath brought life and immortality to light 
through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. And so on, I'll end there, friends, so that we may have more time to speak together. But you'll notice that uh, Paul here is describing, mentioning this call, and it's a holy, holy calling. It's not like the call that we receive from our friends or from our parents or from our country when we were called. You know that many from Ness, especially there in 1914, answered the call of their country and their king and went over at terrible cost and sacrifice. I remember hearing of the time when they these young men who had been wonderfully brought uh, to salvation in a revival at that time came back on leave and there was a communion here in Ness and these men were at the table and they said that when they rose from the table that the, t- the cloth was soaking wet with their tears and as they left that Holy Supper, they said to their friends, we're going, but we won't be coming back. You say, what a waste. But of course, we know with the wisdom of the Lord that these men were ripe and ready for a triumphant entrance. Oh, that we were all ready, whatever our age, for the call, that higher call, But in the meantime, we'll look at this first call, this saving call, what is called in the Catechism the effectual call. I'll just read what it says in the Catechism. Effectual calling is a work of God's Spirit. Every one of us here who is a child of God has had that work of the Spirit of God. He has visited them and enlightened them through the truth and enabled them, as it says here, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, renewing our wills. He doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. And your men tonight will be able to recollect something of that experience when the gospel was freely offered uh, to them. We're also told that the benefits from this calling and they're these Those that are effectually called to in this life partake of justification. In other words, they have a right of access to God. Is that our experience? Do we know what it is to have that right by which we are brought through the veil which is his flesh into his presence and claim the fact that he His righteousness is ours. Adoption and sanctification and the several benefits 
which in this life do accompany or flow from them. What a wonderful description of our experience in the Lord. And we're told it's according to his own purpose and grace in Christ before the world began. Uh, there in the councils of eternity we, we were predestinated unto the adoption of children. We were predestinated uh, to be the children and, all, and together to be the bride of Christ. The, every a beautiful romance of love that we can experience in this life is just a reflection of that a wonderful romance that was planned in eternity by which Christ with his passion for his people for gold forwent all the glories and joys of heaven and entered into the miseries of our life here. It was all purposed and planned. In fact, you could say that the whole creation was purposed and planned to create a stage where Christ could win his bride. And when this whole creation is swept away, what will remain? The bride of Christ to be his forever and we each individually contribute as we taste of that love and so we're told that it's manifest by the appearing of our saviour and that's why the communion season where christ reveals himself to us in the broken bread and the poured out blood he reveals the measure and the cost, the intensity of his love that won us from the fierce grip of sin and the powerful curse and sentence of death that lay upon us. What a triumph of love this was. And so we all share in our own way our calling and we're going to ask some of the brethren here to tell us of what it meant for them. So I hand over to your minister. Well friends, it is always an encouragement to see a good turnout on a Friday evening of the communion season. I have to thank you all who have been here, particularly those who are visiting amongst us, and assure those brethren who may be called tonight of our prayers for you. And we look at this wonderful text before us, and even if we can say just a little about it not being our works, but it being His grace that called us, then we have something to say that is of edification for the brethren tonight, and we praise Him for it. I'll ask first of all Mr. Duncan McSween, Scalpy, please, to speak to the question. <coughs> Who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. 
think that before the world began, that it was an expert that is to look upon as we were so unworthy. And our prayer is even this evening itself that we gather, that in his glory will have foremost in our minds and all that we do. And we're saying even thinking even coming over this evening. Um, that is uh, what my desire was this evening. If nothing else, just to stand up and to praise the Lord for his goodness to you. And uh, this um, holy calling, um, I remember um, I was brought up in a, in a, in a Christian home. What a privilege that is to be and taught the things of God at a young age. I look around me um, and I see even youngsters today and I know that in their homes God is not mentioned and the word of God is not opened. And uh, I have to say in the heart of their children. Um, I was uh, privileged to have been brought up and to be taught about the things of God. And these are the things that matter most. And um, as I was growing up, I did have a desire to be a, a Christian and uh, to, um, to serve the Lord, but uh, I, I, I was just content in the way that I was going until I reached an age where um, the things of the world started being <coughs> not giving me any more satisfaction or giving me any, uh, no desire anymore to, to be out in the things of the world. And uh, I remember one night um, this holy calling coming my way and uh, feeling so inadequate and feeling so sinful and not understanding what was happening at the same time. But coming to a place where as, uh, as if uh, I was put into a corner and I had nowhere else to go. And then I, I told the Lord that that I would accept this holy call. And uh, I got on my knees and asked forgiveness for my sins and for the Lord to come into my life. And uh, as you're saying, um, people use at times, and my world was turned upside down. It, uh, I would say my world was turned the right way. I had a new direction, I had a new purpose in life. And I understood things in a, in a different way. My eyes were open and my heart was open. I was like um, similar to Bartimaeus, who I'm sure with his acute hearing he would have heard about Jesus and uh, the miracles that Jesus did and uh, everything about Jesus as I did growing up. But he did not know Jesus as his Savior. And then uh, when he heard that, uh, when he called out and the Lord stood still. And the Lord came over to him and asked him what he would do for him. And Bartimaeus 
Thank you. Mr. Donald MacDonald Stornley, would you please speak to the question? Which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. 
is bringing out the thoughts of the Christian world seems my own. I probably thought for quite a while that was good enough. text says, who hath saved us? That was quite a long time <coughs> my own life not acknowledging the need to be saved. Didn't see myself as being a sinner in that way, in respect of all that we heard and brought up in the home but the word of God was precious and it was read to us. But dead in trespasses and sins, failing to acknowledge my need to be saved. Living for <coughs> living for the things of this world. And more and more. The older I got, the more involved in these things. But thanks be to God that he did not leave me in that lost state. And it was through the preaching of the word that my eyes and my understanding were opened. Uh, this didn't happen in a short period of time, but over quite a long period of time. I was very disobedient. Maybe I was even reluctant to acknowledge that it was God's work. Welcome the Spirit of God in my life. I failed to see this and to understand it. I encouraged it way before I did. came to the point where the word was preached in such a way that and predicted such a simple way that after all that time I seemed to understand. It says in the text here, not according to our works. And before this understanding came into my own life, I tried my own way to find peace with God. I did all the things that I thought we ought to do. I stopped getting involved in certain things in the world. I would read my Bible. I would be more attentive on the means of grace. I wouldn't have missed any Sabbaths. I would have gone to some services at communities in different places. But still, I was in that same state. I came to realize then that it was certainly not according to my works. One evening, the minister we had at the time, they prayed for He preached on the serpent the wilderness being lifted up. And he made the picture that 
He says, and I ask you here tonight, every one of you, who are not saved, to crawl on your hands and knees down to Melrose. You would all do it, just to be saved. But he says, Scripture doesn't ask for that. Scripture says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has done the work. And for me, that night, I understood, in a measure at least, that the work was done. Christ had done it all. And what was left for me to do was to believe in his name. And whatever happened that night, I, I believed. And I, did I believe before then? I don't know. But everything was made clear, clearer to me that night to the future of the world. <coughs> and I thank God tonight that this is so. There might be somebody here tonight who's, who feels himself to have been seeking a long time. And who's maybe wondering why. He's not finding that peace that he desired. Might be feeling that he's not sure that his sins have been forgiven. But all I could say to him is what I is that he should continue, continue seeking, continue praying. But it's so easy for us at that time maybe to give up. Uh, but if we are the Lord's, he will not permit us to give up. <coughs> he will continue to work until we come to that place. As I say, if there's anybody here tonight, that would be my advice to them. Continue seeking the Lord. And as I've gone on, it amazes me tonight here that for all these years and all these sins in my life, the goodness of God, that I'm found with this people here tonight, desiring to be under this word once again. It is good for us to be found with the Lord's people. At the end of the day, we are of the same family. And we should be remembering each other of God and Christ. <coughs> I, I happen to be away in hospital recently, and I must say I found it very, very difficult to pray in my own situation. But I was made so aware of the prayers of the Lord's people. I wasn't able maybe to pray for myself, but the Lord's people were praying for me. And I found that such a, a blessing for my own soul. And to know that there were those who were remembering it of the Lord of Christ. And that's because we've been saved by the same God, called for the same holy calling. And the one that is with given unto Christ before the world began. We will never understand that in the sight of eternity, maybe even in eternity itself. So always I wonder to me, the chosen from before the foundation of the world, <coughs> God knowing me, knowing my sins and my shortcomings, my slothfulness, even in his own service, 
and yet saved by the grace of God. I thank you tonight. Pray that his name might be glorified in what we all say here this evening. Thank you. We'll pause at this point and offer a further praise to the Lord, singing now in Gaelic in Psalm number 71. <coughs> Psalm 71, and sing three stanzas from verse 15 to 17. Psalm number 71 from verse 15 to 17. Thy justice and salvation my mouth abroad shall show even all the day. For I thereof the numbers do not know. And I will constantly go on in strength of God the Lord. And thine own righteousness, even thine alone, I will record. For even from my youth, O God, by thee I have been taught. And hitherto I have declared the wonders thou hast wrought. Psalm number 71 then, 15 to 17 in Gaelic. <coughs>
Sir Carla McLeod, Knockin Point, would you please speak to the question?
sermons or lectures or discussions on the seven scenes on the cross. And in reading through that book, my heart was melted. I didn't see a judge. I saw exceeding great love. How Christ loved and died for sinners. And that love melted my heart. All conviction of sin came afterwards. And I suppose it stemmed to an extent from that love that I saw in Christ. That he had persevered with me. I have been rebellious. Maybe not to the extent an extreme of others, but I was rebellious nonetheless. When I was younger, I didn't want this man to rule over me. But today he has given me a new heart, and I don't want any other to rule over me. And as we sang there in the sound, I was just struck by the words. This name is Kiev, Bethirandok, Thirandok, Thain, Thelanan. And further down is Khur Mitoifit Eandok, Kurikishon, Thain. That is what I have sought to do. Proclaim his his works. So long as I have breath, my desire is to praise him. He has done great things, whereof I am glad. The effect of that call was life-changing. And although I was never absent from the means of grace on the Lord's day. Yet there was there were similarities in my life to the life of a true Christian. And sometimes that is the case. And it's difficult sometimes to discern between a sheep and a goat. Very similar in to look at at first glance. But there are certain for those for the discerning there are telltale signs. For a start, they have different diets. 
the, the goat is a browser that has its head up browsing on twigs and leaves in the bushes. High-minded, proud in its stance. Whereas the sheep is a grazer and has to bow her head down to the ground in humility. And eating from below, bowing down. And among the plants that is most favoured by the sheep is the clover. It's one of the most nutritious plants that it seeks out. And as you know, the clover is characterised by its three leaves in the one. And this is the desire of the true Christian when he eats spiritually, he desires the divine, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and is not satisfied with much else, but with that which is from above. And if you look in the fields, you'll see areas of tall grass, generally wild grasses and rushes. And there are other parts that are as bare as the palm of your hand. And when you look closely, that's where the clover is. And it's bare because it's grazed hard by the sheep. They're not so keen on the taller grasses. And so is the Christian, desiring that spiritual food that is from above, that spiritual man. <coughs> If you go to the other end of the boat, the tail is a tell-tale. With a sheep, the tail hangs down. And with a goat, it points up. And revealing its <coughs> reproductive parts. No shame in the boat. And there's a vulgarity about them. And Although they may look very similar at a distance, there's no shame with the goat. Except when it's sick, the tail will hang down then. And so it is with the worldly man who has Christian upbringing. When, thing, when the chips are down, as they say, they'll call on the Lord then. When they think, the end is near, they'll humble themselves then. But as soon as they're better, the tails back up again. And they're off in their pride and vulgarity again. <coughs> There's also their habit of flocking. Sheep will flock. And the desire of the Christian is to be with the Lord's people and with the shepherd. Goat is much more independent <coughs> to the rocky crags. Really, it's quite dangerous. But the sheep likes the plains where there's good pasture, likes the company of other sheep, and doesn't want other company. 
And this is one of the main things that I've found in my own life. It's this love for the Lord's people. A love for their company. And the, it rejoices my soul to meet with them from time to time. And the call goes out from us <coughs> to the Lord of glory and primarily when we call others. We have heard others already who desire the salvation of others. I was, last week I was calling my sheep. It was a stormy day and the wind was against me and they couldn't hear me. And I kept calling and calling. And eventually, one head came up. And when that head came up, she saw me and started running. And then the next one saw her running and start, lifted her head up and saw why was she running and saw me. And then she started running. And so it went on and it was a domino effect. And I long for the day that I see the call of the gospel being blessed in such a way that we will see head after head lifted up as they come running to the shepherd and that Christ will indeed see of the travail of the soul and be satisfied. <coughs> Thank you. So, Murdo Murray, Sorna, would you please speak to the question? You have saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. As you know, I was also brought up in a Christian home. And you will have heard that some of the brethren have said that they were aware of this call in their own lives. And the Lord's people come in many different ways. For myself, I was not aware of that call that can only come once. Because this is a call which cannot be refused. When the gospel is called, and the gospel call comes, the Lord makes us willing in a day of his power and we are ready to accept that call and we cannot turn it down and that truly is grace. Some of us here will also have come by the way of the Philippian jailer where the law played a large part in their conversion. But 
there are some of us, and I am one of such, that did not come through the law. But I was drawn by the love of Christ. We know that before we come to a saving knowledge of Christ, that we have to have a knowledge that we need a knowledge of some degree that we are sinners. But in my youth I had no I had a knowledge but it wasn't the driving force. The Lord drew me with cords of love. And that became evident to me because of how much I wanted to be in the company of the Lord's people. The Lord's people who frequented her home often. Fellowships on Wednesday and communion seasons. And I would inevitably be drawn to them and uh, hide as it were thinking that nobody was aware of me, hiding behind the couch and listening to these saints which are all now in glory, telling of how the Lord dealt with them, telling of how the Lord kept them and how they loved the Lord. I desired nothing else but to be with the Lord's people. The world did not hold much of an attraction for me. And I wanted what they had. I wanted to be like them. And I wanted to be with them. And over time, I couldn't understand why I was not attaining <coughs> what they had. I just couldn't reach it. I couldn't grasp it. I loved the Lord, but in my own ignorance, He didn't love me. He didn't want me the way that I wanted Him. And I would be waiting through the night hours seeking him and calling upon him but he wasn't there for me and I just couldn't understand why but the Lord put a friend in my way and over many weeks and months and possibly even years he showed to me that I was a Christian, <coughs> that everything that I was experiencing was what he himself was experiencing and had experienced. <coughs> but yet I just couldn't grasp it. There was something missing. And there was no Damascus Road light, there was no scripture verse. There was no sermon that opened the way for me. I just simply accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Saviour. 
I let go of myself and I put all my trust in him by his grace. It is certainly not of works, not from our side, but there was a work done so that we would benefit from his grace. The Lord at that time, as it were, made known to me that if I, as it were, chose to follow him, that I would have tribulations, as it were, in my life. But that didn't matter at that time and still doesn't matter today. All I wanted then and all I want now is to be Christ-like, to be like him and to be, to reflect in some way his own word in my life. I thank the brethren for speaking to the question. I noted as I listened to the men that in some respects all of them had similar experiences. It's not a surprise that in the island here that they all were brought up in a Christian home. And that is something, I'm sure, for which they are profoundly thankful. And yet for all the similarities that I heard, there were also differences. And some were referred to in what was said, some brought by the law, some drawn with the cords of love, some eager from their earliest years to know the Lord and to seek the Lord, some, as it were, shrugging off their early instruction and only being called later in life. And yet, for all that, the text before us reminds us that inevitably there is a sameness. There is a sameness because of what the text says, who hath called us, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, however that pans out, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. The passage here is speaking of effectual calling. And therefore, there are going to be things that are always the same. In the whole verse, there is nothing of our salvation attributed to ourselves. But everything is attributed to God. And we enjoy everything that salvation brings by virtue of that donation that the Father gave to the Son in eternity. That is why we enjoy this salvation. 
That is why we are the recipients of this grace. That is why we have such a longing and a desire to know Christ, whom to know is life eternal. The passage speaks of the concern, if I can put it like that. Concern is not the best word, but the concern of the activity of God was salvation. Everyone who is called effectually is called to salvation. And therefore, there should be a move from darkness to light, from death to life, from rebellion to submission. They are called, we are told, with a holy calling. It's holy because of where it comes from. It comes from God. It's not the calling of the church. It's not the calling of the minister. It's not the calling of anyone else but God himself. He makes us willing in a day of his power. It is holy not only in its origin from God, but it is holy in its goal because it is a calling to holiness of life, a calling to Christ-likeness, And the men, as they spoke, emphasized their desire to bring honor to Christ by being like Christ. Again, it is this holy calling is an unmerited calling. And that is made so plain here, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul says in Ephesians. Here he says, not according to his, uh, uh, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. And that's it in a nutshell, dear friends. By grace are we saved through faith. It is a calling that is according to his purpose and grace. And that is why. The men speak of, some of the men at least spoke of, they had a desire and they had a longing to be saved, but weren't saved. Others of them had no desire to be saved, but were saved. And the outcome or the reason for that is that God is at work. It's God's timetable. It's God's purpose. God is working. And as one of the brethren said, it is an irresistible call. When he calls us through his purpose and grace, there is no denying the call. And if we were to trace all of this back, it's traced back, is it not, before the world began. Long before we ever had desires, wants, or refusals of this call, it had all been settled. Settled in the councils of eternity. When God gave his people, or gave a people to his son, and the son undertook in time to come into the world, 
and lay down his life for them. And so our joy this evening, as we have heard these brethren speak, is that it is all of grace and it is founded completely and solely upon the finished work of Christ and it could not have been otherwise for it is according to his purpose and grace. May God bless these meditations uh, to us. I'll ask the brother who gave out the text to lead us in prayer. Let us pray.
be pleased with thy dealings with us and be reconciled to thy holy will. Thankful that we are in thine hands and uh, for the promises of Scripture. Enable us by thy grace uh, to embrace the promises in thy word and enable us in thy mercy to take heed to the warnings and to be fully persuaded that it is thine infallible word and that thou art speaking to us. We pray even at this time for our poor nation. Oh, that thou would gracious one turn us in repentance unto thyself. Bestow upon those who are thine the spirit of grace and of supplication. Remember our homes and families. Remember the rising generation. And we thank thee that despite they will see things in our day that we are fully persuaded that thou art the one who rules and overrules in all our affairs. Bless thy servants who are with us at this time. Bless all who proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ to the ends of the earth, and that the word proclaimed may be accompanied by the power of thy Holy Spirit. For the Spirit quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. Help us to look to thee, the author and the finisher of our faith, forgiving us for all our shortcomings, all our many sins, Jesus. Let us conclude singing from Psalm 30. Psalm 30, and we'll sing the first four verses in English. Lord, I will be extolled, for thou hast lifted me on high, and over me thou to rejoice makes not mine enemy. O thou who art the Lord my God, I in distress to thee with loud cries lifted up my voice, and thou hast 